Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to cover Acts chapter 27, 1 through 12 in this audio. Our subject matter is Paul's trip, the beginning of Paul's trip to Rome from Caesarea. We're not going to get, we're only going to get him from Caesarea to Crete, and we'll have to stop there and pick up the story in our next audio as, as he continues to Rome. We start in verse, the reason he's going to Rome, by the way, is because he had been on in prison in Caesarea, having been hounded by the Jews, the Roman governor Felix had put him in jail there, hoping for a bribe, but not wanting to turn him loose because he was a Roman citizen. And so he just kind of left Paul in limbo. Then Festus came, and Paul said, to heck with this, I'm appealing to Caesar. And Festus said, okay, you're out of here. And after giving a nice evangelistic message and testimony to the king, Herod Agrippa II, Festus puts Paul on the boat, and off they go to Italy, to Rome. So we start in Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided, it was decided by Portius Festus and Herod Agrippa II, probably by Portius Festus. He probably had jurisdiction over this. When it was decided that we were to set sail to Italy, now notice it's the we there, that's Luke. Luke accompanied Paul coming back from Corinth on the third journey. Well, he probably Paul probably picked him up in Philippi, somewhere around there. It's not really clear, but he was on the journey all the way across the Mediterranean into Jerusalem, and apparently he hung around for two years because now he's on the ship going back with Paul to Italy. So when it was decided that we, Luke and Paul, were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. Now these Roman regiments, they had names and numbers. Well, let's see, this is how it works. Each regiment had a name, and each legion had a number, according to the NIV Study Bible. The NIV Study Bible and Gill translate that the Augustan cohort, as does the KGV, the Holman Christian Study Bible here, has it as imperial, Augustan men imperial. doesn't matter. It just It's one of the little details that Luke shows to, to, to show how meticulous he was historically as he described this trip. Now, the centurion in charge was a guy named Julius. So we've got Julius, we've got Paul, we've got Luke, I've already mentioned, and we're going to find out that Aristarchus the Macedonian in the next verse is going to be on this trip. Gil also says Trophimus the Ephesian was also on the trip, although I don't know how Gil knows that. I'll just take his word. Now this centurion named Julius, he's otherwise unknown. He may have been an imperial courier, the NIV Study Bible says, whose duties included delivering prisoners as well as mail. But at any rate, he treated Paul quite well, probably because the news about Paul's hearings before Felix Festus and Herod Agrippa II were such that it was obvious Paul was innocent, he was not a flight risk. Here's some scriptures showing how Julius treated Paul, Acts 27, verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. Julius treated him kindly, let him go to see some Christians there, his friends at Sidon, Acts 27, verse 43. But the centurion, that's Julius, kept them from carrying out their plan, that's the people on board the ship as it was about to get shipwrecked, kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. They were planning to kill him, throw him overboard, lighten the things up. So he ordered those who would, could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. So Julian, Julius saved Paul's life, Acts 28, 14. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. That's at Puteoli, if I remember correctly. So Julius allowed Paul to see his Christian friends for a week. 
Acts 28.16, when we entered Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. In other words, he wasn't thrown into jail. So Julius was very kind to Paul. It was very nice considering what he's been through. We go to verse 2 in Acts 27. So when we had boarded a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea. Now they're in Caesarea, and they head out into the Mediterranean on this ship. Now this ship had sailed from Adramidium, which was a port right near the old town of Troy, the famous Helen of Troy, Troy, in the Troad, in the very northwestern corner of Asia Minor, near Assos, place that Paul went to on it, coming back on his third journey. The ship had, There were ships traveling all over the Mediterranean Sea. There was trade everywhere. Many hundreds of years before this, the Phoenicians had been doing it in the 8th century B.C., and then after that, the Carthaginians, and then the people from Egypt, the Romans, after, later than that, I, uh, later than that, the Romans got grain coming from Egypt up to Rome. So there was lots of trade with the Mediterranean Sea, and this was just one of those ships that was in. It was a cargo ship, and it was there in Caesarea, and it was headed up along the coast of present-day Lebanon, Phoenicia, and then around the southern coast of Asia Minor. It was gonna. It was going to port hop along the coast, and so they, Luke and Paul and Julius, and Aristarchus, and Trophimus, got on board the ship, and they put out to sea. They intent, intended to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. They had to do that because they were scared. There were A lot of ships were not brave enough to just sail straight across the Mediterranean, or were not equipped to do that, because it was very dangerous. The Mediterranean looks just like an ocean. It's big enough. And so they were going to go along. They were going to port hop along the coast of Asia where it was safe. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, what Julius is planning here is he's going to coast hop until he can find a, a boat that's going to sail straight across the sea to Rome. Sooner or later, in all these port cities, he would, was going to find one of those. Now, who is this Aristarchus? Now, he's kind of not, kind of obscure. People don't talk. Christians don't talk about him too much. But he was with Paul a good bit. On the, on the third journey in Acts 19.29, we read this. So the city, that's Ephesus, was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions, on, and this was on the third journey. So Aristarchus had come back from, from Asia, from Ephesus, and at some point met up with Paul, traveled with him all the way back to Jerusalem, and then he gets on the boat two years after Paul had been taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea, so he must have hung around with Paul for a long time. We also find out he was a prisoner in Rome later on. Philemon 124, Paul says this, writing from prison, he says, Mark, Aristarchus, my co-worker, as in Colossians 4.10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So Aristarchus was with Paul on the third journey, during his time at Caesarea probably, on the boat back to Rome, Once and then he, became, he got imprisoned when he was in Rome. He probably wasn't a prisoner when he was on the boat, but probably later, he, for some reason, he got put in jail. So he was with Paul a long, long time, very dedicated guy. We go to verse 3 of Acts 27. The next day we put in at Sidon. Now Sidon is the famous tyrant Sidon, Sidon, the Phoenician city about 70 miles north of Caesarea outside of the current nation of Israel today. It's in, in, well, I don't know if it still exists, but it's in. it would be where present-day Lebanon is. 
They put in its side, then Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. As I mentioned earlier, Julius was very nice to Paul. Paul probably needed some care. He'd been in jail for two years. Traveling by sea is not easy. So they took it easy there for a while. Now, this, these stops along the shore taking time, and time was sort of of the essence. I don't know when they started on this journey, but by the time they were halfway through, they had gotten past the sailing season into the danger period where contrary winds and storms were made it deathly dangerous for people to sail. But at any rate, they took their time. Paul went to see his friends. It doesn't appear that Julius took any precautions to prevent Paul's escape. He was not a flight risk. Adam Clark, however, said Paul was probably accompanied by a soldier to whose arm he was chained. Well, maybe so. But at any rate, he got to see his friends. We go to verse 4 of Acts 27. When we had put out to sea from there, from Sidon, we traveled along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. That's the Holman Christian Study Bible translation. The NIV and the ESV said the lee side of Cyprus. Lee side means the side protected by the wind. And if you look at the map, Cyprus is fairly close to the southern shore of Asia Minor, and so they went along the shore of Asia Minor along the northern coast of Cyprus to be protected by that wind. All the way on this journey, the wind's going to be against them, which slowed them down and put them into a dangerous sailing period time. Now, these western winds that were headwinds against Paul, they were normal in the summertime, as NIV Study Bible says. I suspect that they started, I don't know when they started out, sometime in September, as we'll see later. I'm not sure about the summertime where they started quite that early, as the NIV Study Bible says. Acts 27, verse 5. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. All right, this is geography. Geography time. Cilicia is the southernmost province at the southeastern corner of Asia Minor. It's where Tarsus was. If you're in Cilicia, you're at the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And so the boat went north along the Phoenician coast, then the Syrian coast. And then when it ran out of room there, heading north, it then turned due west and went along the southern coast of Asia Minor, the first province of which was Cilicia. And then the province to the west of Cilicia was Pamphylia. And then the next province, and then Myra, and then they hit Lycia, which was the province that kind of was a promontory that stuck out into the Mediterranean Sea. And there was a town on that promontory on the coast of the province of Lycia named Myra. Now, that voyage from Sidon to Myra would take about 10 to 15 days, took 15, 10 to 15 days. Now, Myra was becoming more and more important because of developments in navigation. Instead of coast hugging, more ships were running directly from Alexandria in Egypt straight across the Mediterranean Sea, and of course Myra would then receive those ships coming from Egypt. And other ports as well were doing this, and so Myra became an important grain storage city. So here is where, since it was engaged in international commerce at the time, this is where Julius was going to find another ship to sail straight to Rome instead of these small ships that were coast hopping port hopping along the coast. We go to verse 6 in Acts 27. There the centurion, that means there in Myra, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. As I said, there was grain going from Alexandria to Myra. You recall the Romans 
depended on grain heavily from Egypt. And this is a typical grain shipment that was going from Egypt eventually to Rome. And it had stopped in Myra on the way. And so it was going to keep it was going to continue on the Rome and Julius put Paul on the on the ship knowing that it was going to Rome. Now Julius didn't have to do this. They could have continued to coast hop all along the coast of Asia Minor from Myra and then they could have gone to Caria on the southwestern corner of Asia Minor then gone north past Miletus past Ephesus gone further north up to the Troad where Troy was, then turn in the northern Aegean, turned west, cross the Hellespont, go through northern Thrace, down to Macedonia, and then when they get to Macedonia, they could take the famous Ignatian Way, and then it was a nice road, cut cutting west straight through Macedonia, get to the Adriatic Sea there, cross the Adriatic Sea, and land at Brundisium in Italy, and then cross on over to, to Rome. That might have taken a while, but it would have been a lot safer. But they didn't do that. In the providence of God, they decided to sail on the open sea. Some people speculate that Aristarchus, the aforementioned Thessalonican, stayed on that first ship from Sidon and just and, and coast hopped all the way over to Macedonia, his hometown and then his home country, and then he went west along the Ignatian Way, crossed the Adriatic, and then met up with Paul in Rome later, although that's just speculation. I just assume that he's going to stay on the boat with Paul. We don't know. Now, Julius's decision to sail directly to Rome rather than take the coast-hopping land and land route to Rome, given the later shipwreck, can be seen as a bad decision. I think it was a bad decision from his point of view. Now, this ship, as I mentioned earlier, was part of the grain traffic from Egypt to Rome. It was actually full of wheat. We read in Acts 27, verse 38, when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. That's when they ended up in danger and, and ended up being shipwrecked. All right, so Paul's on the wheat boat, heading for Rome across the Mediterranean. Acts 27, 7, sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Canidus. Canidus is on the very southwestern tip of the province of the landmass of Anatolia, Asia Minor, and there's lots and lots of promontories and islands and bays. It just is so totally confusing, but right there at the tip of one of those promontories is a famous ancient city called Canidus. It's mentioned a lot in ancient history. You notice that they're sailing slowly with difficulty because the wind's still in their face. They weren't able to get to Canidus, so they went south, south and west a little bit, and the next big island in the Aegean, or in the southern end of the Aegean Sea, is Crete. So they went along the south side of Crete off Salmone. Now, Salmone was on the northeastern tip of the island of Crete. They went from there down the coast of Crete, down the eastern coast of Crete, till they got to the south side of Crete, and then they headed west along that along Crete, Crete's southern side. And they came to a place... Well, that's the next verse. They eventually came to a place called Fair Havens, which was near the city of Lycia. We'll get to that in, in the next verse. Now, this trip from Canitus, from from Myra to Canitus, the one, the trip that they apparently didn't couldn't make it there because of the wind. That was 170 miles. That trip probably took 10 to 15 days. The NIV Study Bible says so. Already from Caesarea to Myra, that's 
10 to 15 days, and Aphromyotoconitis, 10 to 15 days. We're talking about a month. We're heading on into fall. We're heading on into storm time. Now, that trip from Myra and Lycia to Conitus normally could have been made in one day, according to the NIV Study Bible, but the contrary winds made it take 10 to 15 days. So the ship hugs the southern side of Crete again for protection. They don't want to get into the open sea and sail straight to Greece. From, and once they got to Greece, they could have crossed over and, and gotten to the Adriatic. Instead, they hugged the southern coast of Greece because of the wind. And now, there is an option that means because there's no wind. I don't believe that for a minute. As Jameson, Farson, and Brown say, it was a contrary wind that was keeping them from sailing the way they wanted to sail. And the vessel being heavily laden with wheat also made headway difficult, as John Gill and Adam Clark point out. So this has not been an easy journey so far. We go to verse 8 in Acts 27. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along the coast, that's the southern coast of Crete, and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, Lycia was about five miles to the east of Fair Havens, so they passed Lycia and went to the Fair Havens. Fair Havens was the port of Lycia. And we go to verse 9 and 10. By now, much time had passed. Now, that could be much time from the time they had left Caesarea, at least 30 days, I guess. It could have been much time had passed since they left Myra. Doesn't make any difference. A long time has passed. And the voyage was already dangerous, as we'll see here when we get a time reference. We're into the danger time for sailing. Since the fast was already over, since the fast was already over, what fast? That's the fast that marks, that is, that is held, the famous fast that was held on the Day of Atonement. And that gives us a date. Because the Day of Atonement was on seven, was on ten Tishri, the seventh month was Tishri, and we know that that is at the end of September, the beginning of October by our calendar. So we're getting at the end of September, and that fast was already over. That means the Day of Atonement was already over. Now the Jews calculated the sailing season from Pentecost, which is in May or June, to the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was five days after the fast, after the Day of Atonement. So we're at the time when the sailing season is is over. At the very end of the sailing season, according to the Jews, Paul knew it was over. And so he's going to give some advice. Maybe we ought to stay here. So this is getting dangerous. Now the Romans considered the sailing season this way. After September the 15th, Sailing is doubtful, of course. That's where they are now. They're at the end of September, beginning of October. So they're already in doubtful sailing time. After November the 11th, they considered it suicidal. Well, they hadn't gotten to the suicidal stage yet, but they had gotten to the doubtful stage yet, so they were having trouble. They're somewhere at the 1st of October, which is past September 15th. So the Romans said, hmm, we we, we're in some a dicey situation here. Why was it dangerous? Let me give you a quote from Alfred Bards, quote, the time of the autumnal equinox, and when the navigation of the Mediterranean was esteemed to be particularly dangerous from the storms which usually occurred about that time. In other words, just lots of winds, lots of storms. Now it says in verse 9, much time had passed. I mentioned it could be much time since they left Caesarea, much time since they left Myra. It could also be much time since they holed up at Fair Havens. By now, much time had passed. They're at Fair Haven, so it could be referred to that. At any rate, a lot of time has gone by. And Paul says this. Paul gave his advice, verse 10, and told them. At the end of verse 9, we read this. Paul gave his advice. 
Since the fast was already over, Paul gave his advice, verse 10, and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. In other words, guys, we're in trouble here. Now, when Paul says, I see, some people speculated he had a prophecy here, a prophetic gift. No, I don't think so. There's enough miracles in the Bible. We don't have to manufacture more miracles. It was a very natural thing, as John Gill and Adam Clark claim, and so does Ellicott. He just naturally knew they were in trouble. Let me give a quote from Ellicott. Quote, St. Paul had, it will be remembered, the experience of three shipwrecks, as we read in 2 Corinthians 11.25. And the epistle to Titus, though probably written later, shows an acquaintance with Crete, which suggests that he may have had some knowledge even of the very harbor in which they had found refuge. At any rate, Paul was an experienced guy. As far as traveling on ships, he wasn't a sailor, but he didn't shipwreck three times. So he gave some advice. Let's, and what was that advice? Well, to stay. It doesn't say that that was his advice, but it's implied very strongly. It's obvious. His advice was, look, guys, let's stay here. Let's don't go on with this forge. We might die, and we're going to lose our cargo, too. He appealed to their pecuniary interest as well as their desire to stay alive. We go to verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, but the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Paul is just a landlubber. What does he know about sailing? But the centurion, Julius, says, well, I better listen to the people who are experienced on the ocean. That would be the captain and the owner. Now, the captain and the owner could be the same person, or it could be two different people. The owner of the ship decided to sail, try to make his profits with his cargo, and he hired a captain to sail the ship. Whether it's one person or two, either way, you know, they, they, the owner's not going to risk his ship unnecessarily, and the captain knows about sailing. So it's, it's logical that this Julius, the centurion, would listen to the, to the seafaring experts rather than Paul. It makes perfectly good sense. But they should have listened to Paul. Verse 12, since the harbor, that's Fair Havens, on the southern coast of Crete, was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix a harbor on Crete open to the southwest and northwest and to winter there. Now, if you look at the map, Phoenix is just a little bit further along the southern coast go as you head west, and it doesn't look like there's any way that it could have a harbor open to the southwest and the northwest because it looks like it's on the south side of Crete, and, well, it could look to the southwest. That's not a problem. But how can it look to the northwest? It would be blocked by the island of Crete. How can it look to the northwest? Since when you look northwest on the map, you end up on looking at land, not an open sea. Well, the answer to that is, according to John Gill, quote, the haven considered in general lay towards the south, but having its windings and turnings with respect to them, it lay towards both the southwest and the northwest. In other words, the map does not show enough geographical detail. If you can get promontories and such and bays that stick out into the Mediterranean and then one of them opens up to the northwest. You can do that. You just can't see it on a, on the kind of map that I'm looking at now. So this was a nice place. It was called Phoenix, and they decided to go there. Now, they never made it there. The winds kept them from getting to Phoenix, and they got blown out into the middle of the Mediterranean and shipwrecked eventually. as a miracle they all lived. But now the next question, was this a logical decision to try to make it to Phoenix? Well, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, yes, it was logical. This is according to me. It was logical to pay attention to people with experience on the sea rather than a landlubber prisoner. And it might have been logical, but it led to shipwreck, as I pointed out. Now, Jameson Fawcett Brown pointed out that, look, 
Fair Havens was a lousy harbor for the winter. It was open to almost one half the compass. In other words, 180 degrees is wide open. Any any storm, any sea that could come in there, blow them up against the rocks, against the coast. So it was not a bad decision. You can't really blame them for making this decision. But Paul did. He got some credibility, I think, because people later on, they, they're thinking, well, you know, Paul was right. We shouldn't have tried to sail to Phoenix. We should have stayed in Fair Heavens. We would have had a better chance. Maybe we ought to listen to this guy. Well, we'll see what happens as this, as this sea voyage continues from Caesarea to Rome in our next audio starting in Acts 27, verse 13. I hope you stay tuned for that one, and I hope you enjoyed this one. <laughs> 